If Jesus is breaking down barriers to salvation, he is not doing it by putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, I'll tell you that. At least not for Nicodemus. Richard Rohr said the gospel cannot happen only in your head. Our intellectual grasp is not the primary means of faith. It's just what we know, how we are trained in school and the like. In fact, at times it may be a barrier in facing the mysteries, the wonders, and the terrors of the journey through faith. Mita Stamper wrote that when we become too sure of what we know and understand about Jesus, when we believe we have grasped him at last, that is perhaps when we can expect to be undone, like Nicodemus. Jesus's rather witchy sayings and guru-like manner are a way to point to mystery and uncertainty, to the upheaval of God's grace and love, to new and foreign perspectives uh, on the heavenly interruption into our old ways of being and thinking and doing. The journey to salvation is a battle to break through the barriers of this world, the barriers that are crafted many times by our own hands. The goal is to discover a connection to God and a realization that it is God who is breaking down those barriers all along with the power of infinite love. And we realize not only this ethereal, spiritual truth, but also the holiness of our places, of our moments. Salvation is not a punched ticket to a cloud city. It's a reclamation of the ways for which God intended us to be here and now. And in his own way, Jesus is breaking it down for Nicodemus. And as we look at this passage, he does this through three very important and simple words, each of which has a double meaning. The first word, next slide. Oh yeah, some artwork. Next slide. <laughs> For you. <laughs> the first word. Oh, next slide. Sorry. Oh yeah, the first word is anothen, which means both again and above. This is Jesus' launch word. He reveals what Jesus' critique of the Pharisees is that we see later on in John 8. Uh, it's a clash over bloodline. Uh, the Pharisees are obsessed with being born of Abraham. And here, before they even gets to that argument, Jesus is saying, you must be born anothen. You must be born from above or again. The system of salvation is basically closed in this time. Uh, if you're a Gentile, you're basically out of luck as the Pharisees are running the show uh, because it, what really matters is who your dad's dad's dad was or in Jewish tradition who your mom's mom's mom was and if she met the criteria of ancestry. Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he comes in this bizarre set of circumstances, coming at night, coming in secret, no one's sure whose side he's on, who he represents, why he's even there. But Jesus is certain of one thing that he's going to take Nicodemus to church on the primary issue of salvation that the Pharisees are concerned with. You must be born anothen, from above, Jesus says, because Jesus was the Son of God and he was born from above. Uh, in John 8, you see the Pharisees attack Jesus by accusing him of being the bastard child of a Samaritan. The Samaritans were already forming this isolated country in the wilderness because uh, no one wanted to associate with them because of their lineage, their genetics. 
their blended bloodlines. Jesus was breaking down the big barrier of the whole system as it had been established in Jesus. And Nicodemus responds by completely misunderstanding. He hears born from above, and he thinks, born again? Uh, How does that work? It's kind of a classic, no, but sort of, moments for Jesus and Nicodemus. The second birth, this birth again from above, is the divine birth, the spiritual birth, the realization of a salvation available to all. Uh, rather than the salvation by birthright. It's expounded by Jesus in the introduction of a second word. So there's the above again thing. The second word is pneuma, which means wind or spirit. Jesus takes this again above mix-up and runs with it. And he says, yes, again, from above. And he clarifies that there are two births. And the second birth is through the pneuma, the spirit. And then he kind of throws a curveball at Nicodemus and jumbles it up. He says, born of the spirit, and the spirit is like the wind, which is the same exact word. So the pneuma and the pneuma, yeah. So Jesus is kind of doing this crazy dance, uh, almost like he's in a verbal knife fight with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus doesn't really have a knife. So... (laughs) But this pronouncement of how the Spirit works is designed not only to sort of confuse Nicodemus, but also to help break down a barrier. Um, Nicodemus responds, as does the audience, how can these things be? How is this possible? Jesus is talking about liberation. He's talking about spiritual transcendence, a different connection, a different type of salvation. Nicodemus like everyone else, is waiting for physical deliverance from Roman rule. He's waiting for a a literal nation state to arise, to throw back soldiers with other soldiers. And Jesus talks about spiritual birth being like the mysteries of the wind, salvation from the human condition, an experience of life in the midst of sin and death and destruction. Not more war, but peace in the midst of wars. God is inviting us to this liberation, this growth, this new birth, to embrace and connect with God, one another, and a beloved and tragic world that we are trafficking through. Through the world, we encounter barriers holding back God's limitless love. And he does this salvation, this new birth, this mystery of the Holy Spirit, and he presents the second birth, the spiritual birth, as a culturally and politically subversive act. Not just against the forces opposing Israel, but forces opposing life and justice everywhere, especially in Israel. Caroline Lewis wrote that we need to consider earnestly that having an incarnated God like Jesus requires an incarnational faith that believing is as complex and complicated as being human and just as connected to God as the Holy Spirit is to God and to Jesus. The barriers of the physical world, of the everyday life, 
in connecting to an immaterial God who offers spiritual and eternal salvation to everyone. The barrier that is being broken down by Jesus is inviting us out of sort of a greenhouse of certainty and into a faith in the wild. Jesus leads us into this powerful redemption, this personal redemption, and this universal redemption <laughs> with a third word, with a double meaning. And the third word is semeon, and it means sign or pull. By the end of this passage, Nicodemus is kind of faded into the background. He only has three lines, so it was an easy role for him to play. Uh, it's as though Jesus is just breaking down the fourth wall and speaking directly to us, the audience. Jesus bridges this gap with Nicodemus' own words. Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus shows up three times in the Bible, John 3, John 8, and John 20. And these glimpses of this man, we see these barriers being broken down, culturally, intellectually, spiritually, religiously. Man-made barriers are slowly being chipped away almost like a Shawshank Redemption-esque tunnel into God's divine love. That's right, a tunnel of love. <laughs> and sometimes it takes 17 chapters of our life where we feel like not much is happening to see significant things happen in ways we don't expect that we never knew we would want. But the way that Jesus presses into and breaks through these barriers. To paraphrase Lord Tennyson, God's love is the subtlest force on earth. Nicodemus came to Jesus and he references signs. He says, we know you're doing miraculous signs. He's probably talking specifically about the miracle at Cana, turning water into wine. And Jesus bookends this interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, we know you're doing signs. And Jesus says, oh, I'll tell you about a sign. And he jumps into an Old Testament midrash. He, he's a rabbi. There are two rabbis, so you've got to expect it to get painfully dry at some point. So, <laughs> incredibly painfully dry. He talks about being born from above, the heavenly nature of things, and then he says, just like in Numbers chapter 19, where everyone was dying of snake bites. So Moses puts a giant statue of a snake on a pole, and everyone who looked at it was healed of their snake bites. You guys remember, right? <laughs> the word for sign, the idea of these miracles that Jesus has done and will do, healings, miracles, they're not the ultimate sign. The ultimate sign is the pole on which Jesus will be raised up, the cross. The sign of God's love to a broken world is the death of his only son. And it's the same word, pull, sign. God's love is relentless and conditionless. And as the passage ends in verses 16 and 17, we see this very familiar and well-published expression of divine love. This is a like-it-or-not style of love. God is not concerned with our worthiness, only our worth. This love goes beyond our spheres of imagination and our scope of vision. It extends to the entire world which we ourselves have rejected in part. Martin Neimoller wrote, 
it took me a long time to realize that not only did God not hate my enemies, he didn't even hate his own enemies. To break through the barriers to salvation, we must take this love and let it carry us through the world. Love for the other, even the other that goes against our instinct and capacity to love. The final barrier to salvation that God breaks through is hatred. And he does this in the hateful death of Jesus. Breaking through these barriers to salvation is not about smoothing everything over. Uh, This passage today highlights the complexity and complications of a God who goes beyond theology, a God who goes beyond whatever's trending, a God who goes beyond church program and gospel tract and pithy platitude. These barriers, as Jesus deconstructs them, lead us into mystery and awe and fear. Uh, And yet, they also lead us to the purpose of what we were made for, a connection to God that changes everything. Because God loves us too much to leave us unchanged. One last thing. Charles Spurgeon said, the greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit makes men look to themselves for salvation. If there is one clear takeaway from this, I still say, bewildering passage, it is simply that everyone was looking in the wrong place for salvation. And Jesus breaks down the barriers in order for people to turn their eyes upon him. The barriers to salvation or those that prevent us from looking up to the heavens, from looking to who is wholly other, the spirit and the wind of divine second birth, divine transformation, the mystery of broken barriers through unlikely power and subversive encounter with God.